Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. And good afternoon. Welcome to Sandy and Sean here on Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. I'm Sandy Clough. Sean Rotar off today. Hopefully we'll be rejoining us tomorrow, but I am honored for the first time to work with Anilo Piro, who is uh, by my side for the next two hours. Anilo, thank you very much. And by the way, we will be replaying these two hours between 4 and 6 o'clock. And I guarantee you, it will sound smarter the second time around. Uh, Dr. Rick Perea will join us here in just a few moments. And we'll talk about uh, what has turned into, I think, a bit of a psychological battle between the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. And, uh, Anila, we've used a lot of phrases in talking about why these playoffs in the NBA even more so this year than the NHL, have been wildly unpredictable. Every time you think you have a beat on a player or on a team especially, even on a coach, something happens to alter that perception. And to me, I said this yesterday, and Rick Perry will tell us what I meant by what I said yesterday because I stole it from him, that this is now a neck-up series as much as it is a neck-down series uh, with the Heat appearing very calm, very cool, uh, very mature, especially in Game 2, but seemingly the attitude for the Heat didn't change. There might have been some tweaks here and there, but the Nuggets seem like a completely different team Sunday night than they were on Thursday night. And I was in attendance for that one, you know, covering it all for us, MileHighSports.com, the social media channels as well. And, you know, from, from the moment the game started, you know, they got out, Miami did to that 10-2 to run, and the quick timeout from Malone, the bench unit for the Nuggets does a good job. But really, outside of Nikola Jokic, you know, the starters were snoozing or just off their game. Michael Porter Jr.'s shot, uh, shot selection, uh, Miami with a concerted effort to limit the amount of space for Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon not having the same offensive impact out of the gate as well. So uh, it's, it's in my opinion, Sandy, the worst game they've probably played all postseason as well, specifically being at home. And, uh, you know, you got to give credit where credit is due. Miami is a very resilient team, and I agree with your initial points about how you know this NBA postseason compared to years past has been very volatile. And most times, more often than not, uh, you know, the best team always wins, it seems like, in the NBA. Whereas, you know, NHL, Major League Baseball, NFL, there tends to be a little bit more volatility. Uh, you know, that has not been the case in the NBA this go-around where, uh, you know, the Denver Nuggets obviously is the one seed, but on the flip side, Miami, play-in team finds themselves in the NBA final. I think I have this stat right that seven of the 14 series prior to the NBA finals were won by the team that didn't have home court advantage. Wow, that's similar to the way the National Hockey League usually works. Although right now you have in the NHL finals of uh, an eight seed mm-hmm. in Florida getting at least so far crushed by a one seed in Las Vegas. Right, and last night was something. And last night was seven to two. Yeah, which I, I mean, we know 
what Vegas does from an 0-2 deficit. <laughs> Looking back a couple of years on this series with the Avalanche, we'll see what they do uh, with a different coach now, Bruce Cassidy, uh, with a lead of uh, two games to none. But it, it, Chalk is holding more often in the NHL playoffs this year, which is uh, not customary. Uh, but here with the NBA, you have the winningest eight seed in the history of the NBA playoffs. Uh, the New York Knicks in 1999 in a lockout shortened season managed to win 12 games, but then were decisively beaten by San Antonio in the finals mm-hmm. that year. The Miami Heat now have the record for most wins by an eight seed with their 13th coming on Sunday night. And to explain all that and uh, settle or maybe uh, – say things that might lead to an increase in our concern. We have Dr. Rick Berea joining us in studio today from Think One on a very short notice. But uh, I know you have some things to say. And my first question to you, Rick, would be uh, explain to the audience what I meant yesterday <laughs> when I said this is now a neck up series. Between the Heat and the Nuggets. Yeah, so... Explain what I meant by that, because I'm not really sure. It's your term that I stole. Right. I have given (laughs) credit to you for that, but uh, tell me why maybe it wasn't prior to Game 2, but it became a neck-up series after Game 2. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. It it became a neck-up series because... You know, the leader of the Nuggets, Mike Malone, made it a neck-up series. And what I mean by that is I love Mike. I like Mike. I've worked directly with Mike over the years. Um, But Mike has a tendency to get a little frustrated, and he lets it show non-verbally. And that is his reputation around the league, by the way. You're not telling uh, tales out of school or anything like that. Mike Malone is known as someone who can blow his stack. It's a well-earned reputation that's existed for many, many years. Very different from his father's reputation, too, by the way. Well, and here's my thing. As a performance psychologist, we observe nonverbal behavior. Nonverbal behavior is 80% more reliable than verbal. And we study this in performance psychology. And Mike is a guy that will show his emotions through his facial expressions, through his body language. If you watch when he calls a timeout out in, when he's frustrated, a team gets on an 8-0 run, a 12-2 run, whatever it may be, he'll call a timeout and he does it in a way that's very convicted, very strong. Players see that. Players look at their coach's facial expressions, their nonverbal communication on a regular basis to get a reading, a barometer, if you will, of their emotional competencies and acumen. And so when I say it became a neck-up series, what I mean is so many people think it's about talent. And I heard you guys talking before I got on about people thinking talent wins championships. Well, I I disagree with that to a certain extent. Different sports are different. But I tell you this, I think the Boston Celtics, top to bottom, have more talent than the Miami Heat. So do most basketball. And so, yeah. So the point is, how does a team play with cohesion, cooperation and really reach that that zone or the flow of playing for each other and loving each other we've seen the nuggets play like that we've seen them play like that for a majority of these playoffs however 
recently, especially in these last two games in the finals, Mike has definitely turned up the barometer on himself. You can see his nonverbal communication on the bench. You can see his nonverbal communication in post-game uh, pressers and conferences where he's actually been very frustrated. And even if the words were not speaking, his nonverbal did. And I saw a comment by a particular player, it doesn't matter who it is, in the post-game press conference after game two, say, we don't need a rah-rah at this point. We don't need to be told what to do. You know who he's talking to. You know who he was talking about. And so when I say it became a neck-up series, what I mean is when I look over at Spolstra, if I'm a player, oh, my gosh, calm, cool, and collected. You know, there was a real iffy call. His and, expression never changes. Yeah, well, in, right? the, in, in you know, I was watching it on TV, and he landed a big smile at a really right. converse, you know, controversial call. Right. Whereas Mike crosses his arms, which is a sign of – of, of holding in within, keeping within, and then that facial expression. And I got to tell you, there are players, and I know players on this team, that are frustrated right now with his frustration. And they literally are saying, chill out. We got this. We got this. So I will say this. Whoever wins this series will win it from the neck up. I think it's an interesting point you bring up, and obviously it's been fascinating to me to see the national discourse that has taken place over the last 48 hours or so, because if you know Michael Malone, if you've been around this team for a while, like I know you have been, myself included, this is who he's always been. It's yeah. not like this is an evolution of Michael Malone from cool, calm, and collected to, you know, Mr. Hothead, and, you know, I, I think, I, I understand where you're coming from, and I, I agree with you in the sense of this is a neck-up series, and I think the question I have is how much does the comfort level of Michael Malone kind of rub off on this team because like we just talked about there is consistency in the approach there's a consistency in the mentality so it's not new for a guy like Jamal Murray or a Nikola Jokic or you know a, a Jeff Green who you know had some pointed words after the game as well and I wonder the overall reception to the message because sometimes if you keep talking like that over and over and beating the dead horse sometimes it falls on deaf ears as well and so I'm curious about the Game 3 adjustments because Michael Malone, for really the first time this postseason, has grilled his players. And I actually do agree with him about effort should not be a question at this point in the NBA Finals. So we'll find out in Game 3, has the message fallen on deaf ears? Or, you know, will this team be able to respond? And I know we got some sound about that as well later on in the program. Well, I'll tell you this. Let's look at the scientists, the science about this. You know, I'm on this show because I bring a different perspective, Okay. Here's why the effort is lacking. There's what we call the autonomic nervous system. Okay, We have two sides, a sympathetic and a parasympathetic. When athletes are on the sympathetic side of their autonomic nervous system, muscle tension, heart rate is elevated, you know, breathing is elevated, and their thinking narrows. So when they're on the sympathetic side, they will not perform physiologically, emotionally, or psychologically to their potential. It's kind of like the way you miss shots. People are like, well, why is he missing shots from game to game? Well, he was elevated on that autonomic nervous system on that side. When you're on the parasympathetic side, that's where flow is. That's where the zone is. That's when you're completely relaxed. So let's understand the science behind missing shots. Let's understand the science behind not giving full effort. And what, what Coach Malone needs to understand is he's the architect of that. And when I look at my team and I rip my team, when I look at my team non-verbally in a very frustrated way, I am encouraging and cultivating 
people to be on the sympathetic side of their autonomic, which is elevated heart rate, elevated muscle tension, narrowing of thinking, and then we get frustrated why they don't shoot the ball as well. Okay, it's the very reason why people, when they shoot two free throws, they miss. If they're going to miss one, they usually miss the first one because there's too much lactic acid built up in the arms. When after they shoot one, it bleeds it out. Now they're on the parasympathetic and they stroke the second one. So I want people to understand there's a whole science behind the neck up. It isn't just, oh, we have to be positive. We have to have a great mindset. How do you get positive? How do you get a great mindset? That's what we do in performance psychology is help coaches and players to stay on that parasympathetic side because when they can do that, then they'll go on and operate to their potential physiologically. The person to whom Michael Malone seen most clearly to direct his comments the other night was Michael Porter Jr., who perhaps coincidentally, perhaps not, skipped out on the media after the game and will probably incur a substantial fine for so doing from the National Basketball Association. Are the two connected? Absolutely. Coach ripping player, player skipping out on media obligations. Well, and it's related in terms of mood. We have a scientific trail that says thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to mood, mood leads to behavior. Okay, so if his mood was not in a place that he wanted to talk to the media, it's based on his thoughts. Well, his thoughts are based on what? Perceptual values. Part of that is missing those shots. You know what? When you make all those shots, Michael, you're willing to talk to the media. You miss them, be a professional and and bow up and and, and talk. Oh, no, I'm not suggesting that's on Malone at all. No, I know. That's on Porter. Yeah, no, I'm talking about Porter. And probably Porter. I know you are. Yeah. And just to give it some context... Porter not only missed a lot of shots, his playing time was cut from 43 minutes in game one to 26 minutes in game two. Bruce Brown, off the bench, played more than Michael Porter, a starter played, in the game. I'm guessing that Porter was not thrilled by that, but it was his choice to skip out on the media, whether he was thrilled with that or not, as it might have been his choice had he been uh, available to the media to complain about that or say, I understand, wasn't playing well. Right, but to support your point, Sandy, I want people to understand when you're on that sympathetic side, heart rate's elevated, respiration, muscle tension, and you're narrowing, your thinking narrows, that's when you're frustrated. That's when you're angry. That's when your team isn't playing with cohesion, isn't playing with cooperation. So I want people to understand he's an example of playing on a sympathetic side. He had muscle tension. And then to leave, that's a decision based on narrowing thinking. If he has calm thinking on the parasympathetic side, he's thinking clearly. He's like, you know what? I missed a few shots. In the scope of things, I'm going to answer questions. Everything will be all right. But when your thinking narrows, it's like getting frustrated. Parent, if you're a parent out there, you know what it feels like if you have an adolescent kid and they do something when you don't want them to do it. You get on the sympathetic side and you say things you actually don't mean at times. The same things with these athletes. They play like they don't mean to, they don't intend to miss nine shots, or they don't. Or they say things they don't mean to, and they make decisions that are reflective of being on that sympathetic side of the autonomic and not on the parasympathetic side. So I'll finish by saying this. you People need to understand coaches, assistant coaches, even GMs and EVPs set the climate and culture of a particular team that enables players to go out and play on their parasympathetic side. When you look at the other side, the Miami Heat, and I'm, I'm here to say this, I think this is a, a toss-up series in my opinion. 
Because here's why. When you look at Pat Riley, when you look at Spolstra, when you look at Alonzo, when you look at all that brain trust, it screams parasympathetic. When you look at Mike Malone, it screams sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system. So I'm not saying the Nuggets can't win. They very much have proven they can win. But I'm saying whoever wins this series, it will be done from the neck up. Let, let me ask you this. I think you bring up a great point. And I'm curious your opinion as to why maybe the Nuggets lean on the sympathetic side. And how much of that do you think is fueled by having not climbed that mountaintop before? And the pressure that is, if you don't win this year, you're forgotten about it. And Malone, the questions, and Porter, max contract player. Do you believe that Miami's ability to kind of have, for lack of a better phrase, their head on straight and have the right mentality is due to their pedigree of success, maybe compared to Denver, that's still clawing for that first opportunity of climbing Everest? It is. But let's use a little more scientific term yeah that's it's, your job it's called <laughs> it's called emotional intelligence the ability to not let emotions play a role in decision making is what we call emotional intelligence and when you look at the miami heat when they run their offense they're calm they're regulated they're cool they are just a regulated team you can see that the nuggets have an edge to them you can feel it now they score in bunches and when they're all when those backups off the bench are hitting they look unbeatable, and they probably really are. But, man, they got an edge to them, just like their head coach. And so what I'm saying is the emotional intelligence that the Miami Heat is displaying, game in and game out, may be the difference in this series because I, I have no qualm. Denver is more talented. Denver, if, if they shoot well, they're probably unbeatable. They probably are. But if, if Miami is able to regulate themselves like they did the other day and just – stay in that parasympathetic and play to their potential physiologically and emotionally, and most importantly, displaying emotional intelligence when live bullets are flying out there on the court, they will win this series. You can understand, I guess on some level, why Michael Malone would be upset after a loss. But why was he upset after the Nuggets won game one? Why did he say, as a declaration, not as a warning, as a straight-out declaration, we did not play well in game one. And then double down on that the day before the game. Be even more emphatic. We'll ask that question of Dr. Rick Perea next as we continue. Sandy Clough and Nilo Piro, this is Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Sandy Clough and Elo Piro sitting in for Sean Trotar on this Tuesday afternoon in the Mile High City, 6th day of June 2023. We are honored to have uh, the good Dr. Rick Perea with us and, uh, We'll, we'll get into the program you're working on. We talked about it the last time. We'll mention it again today in a few minutes. But when we spoke yesterday, I was particularly curious as to why, not after game two, but after game one, Michael Malone made the declaration first on Friday and then almost seeming to double down the next day at the mass media press conference that uh, the teams hold the day before every game, and everybody talks. Several players, 
usually always the head coach, and at length, all right? And he doubles down on Saturday on the declaration, not a warning, not an expression of worry or concern. This is a declaration reinforcing what he had said the day before. We did not play well in game one, quote-unquote. We did not play well. Not, hey, we had a bad fourth quarter. I loved our game the first three quarters. That's as well as we can play. And, yeah, they missed some open shots. But if we play like that, we win. If we play like we did in the fourth quarter, yes, I I am concerned. And we need to be the team I saw in the first three quarters. But there was nothing but relentless negativity. And this was his review of game one. And I'm thinking, well, if I'm a member of the Miami Heat, that's an expression of disrespect to me. Yeah, for sure. That they played badly, according to the head coach, and he made no distinctions between various quarters, the two halves, nothing. We didn't play very well. And I'm thinking the Miami Heat who lost that game by 11 points and were 24 points down with 30 seconds to go in the third quarter are saying to themselves, hmm, he thinks they play badly in game one. Wait till he gets a load of us tomorrow night. Then he'll know what playing badly (laughs) looks like. I, I thought that was completely disrespectful to the Heat, a stupid thing to say on his part. And I'm wondering where you go when you say your team doesn't play well Blanket statement. After a win, where do you go after a loss then? Right. Yeah. You know, the thing that I want people to understand is the risk you run when you say that to your players is you are actually activating them to be on that sympathetic side of their autonomic. And here's why. When you communicate with your team, there's a lot of things to communicate. Scheme, X's and O's. But the human aspect of what we study is motivation and it is performance. And you have to be charismatic in the way you deliver your content. Did they not play to his potential? That what he thought their potential was? For yes. 48 minutes. Yes. But you know what you say? We got a few things to clean up. But overall, I think we did a lot of good things. I think we did a lot of good things out there. And we will continue to do that. We got a few things to clean up. How you communicate to your team your verbal responses, invokes and evokes nonverbal responses from your players. So when he comes out and says, we didn't play well, and makes that blanket statement, the players interpret that as they didn't do a good job. And now they're saying, wait a minute, we're up 1-0, and we didn't do a good job. That doesn't fit with my schema. My schema is how I organize information. So Mike needs to understand his communication style, the way he delivers his content, has can break his team down and not build him up. He's got to build him up from game to game so that they will be on that parasympathetic side on a consistent basis so when they go out and compete, they're beating the Miami Heat from a scientific mm-hmm. level. You know, people want to talk about the quantitative, the score. I get it. That's important, right? But it's based on science. And if he understands that, he's going to do a yeah. really good – uh, he's going to really have a really good opportunity to put his players in the right spot so they can perform oh, I, I, physically to absolutely. their potential. This is an opportunity for him. I, I, I want to make a couple of observations. Malone was on tape because they have both coaches mic'd up, or at least Malone's mic'd up. Mm-hmm. I'm not 
Richard Smolster is. Maybe Smolster didn't want to be, or maybe he is, and he just doesn't say anything that's right. uh, interesting, uh, which might be a good thing for the Miami Heat. In any case, prior to game one, and I thought this was great on Malone's part, they have him saying to his team, teams gathered around him, and he says, you know, the Miami Heat won game one in Milwaukee in the first round. They won game two in the second round in New York. They won game three in Boston. Not tonight. Not in our house. Perfect message for his team going out there. Hey, this team's won three times on the road to open the first three rounds. They ain't doing it tonight. Nobody's done it yet to us in the playoffs, and they ain't going to be the first to, uh, to win four. They may have won three. They ain't winning four game ones on the road. I thought that was a positive message. Now, I'll give you something else that I've never heard in my life. I've seen a lot of NBA basketball series, hockey and baseball too for that matter, that were one-to-one after two games. At no time until the other night have I heard a player on either side after the first two games are split say, we got to stay together. The 1-1 series. What are you talking about? It's not 0-2. You're not down zero games to two. Yeah. It's 1-1. I've never heard a player in a 1-1 series say, we've got to stay together. That's exactly what Jamal Murray said after the game on Sunday night. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? Well, he's reacting to Malone's negativity. Yeah. He's saying, we're pulling apart as a team. Yeah. After a one once after you lose one game, you've won seven straight playoff games. You haven't lost a home game since March. You lose one Sunday night, and your first reaction is, "Oh, we got to stay together." Mm. Yeah. I've never heard that before in my life, particularly in the in the context I just mentioned. He's just repeating what he heard. He's just repeating yeah, exactly what he heard right. in in a, exactly in, a, right. in a team meeting, and I don't blame him for that. I mean, he's just you know. He's following what his his coach is saying, but like that that's again to my point. When you, and I want people to look at when they listen to this, look up the autonomic nervous system. Look at those two sides, parasympathetic and sympathetic. When you're on that sympathetic side, you say things you don't mean. You breathe in an elevated. Your heart rate is elevated. You have muscle tension. You're not going to shoot the ball as freely as you normally do. When you're on the parasympathetic. That's when you're calm. So when Mike is in the sympathetic, he is going to deploy his communication style in a way that he's, in effect, harming his own team. And I love Mike. I think he's a great coach. What he needs to work on is his communication skills. And if he can learn to regulate himself and learn to communicate in a regulated way, they got a chance to win multiple championships. But isn't it ironic that most people think this series is about basketball when it really comes down to the neck up, leadership, and albeit communication skills? That's the Miami Heat superpower. Everybody go. thinks Heat throughout culture. the playoffs it's been about basketball and it hasn't been in any of their four series. I think from like an X's and O's perspective, even, you know, before the series started, you know, Denver up and down, you know, has some real nice talent advantages, size, speed, whatever it might be. The one distinct advantage that Miami had entering into this series was at the top, the head coach. Eric Spolster, a guy who's been there, done that, been around Pat Riley, won championships as an assistant, as a coach as well. 
Michael Malone, you know, is that feisty guy. He's like the, the alley cat looking for food. You know, he's looking for his first opportunity to find the, the loaf of bread at the bakery throughout yep. in the morning. Yep. And I'm curious because, you know, we talked about it as a whole. Denver is the more talented team. But how much does talent versus mentality end up being a focal point in this series? And that's why, to me, Sandy, and, you know, game three is so critical. I saw on the four-letter network this morning, in a 1-1 series, the team that wins game three goes on to win the series 80% of the time. It's a game of adjustments, a game of runs. I wonder how the message resonates now moving forward in this series. It's a critical one for Denver. Yeah, well, so there's two types of research we look at in performance psychology. There's quantitative, which is numbers, and there's qualitative, which is the human experience. Mm -hmm. So that may be 80% of the time they win, but that 20% may be represented in this pool, this sample. Yeah, so point. We, the point is this, is that the, the Miami Heat – have that qualitative advantage over the Denver Nuggets. They really do. They don't have the quantitative advantage. When, when the Heat focus on the qualitative, they're able to deploy their very best selves, okay? They don't have the talent that Denver does, but Denver will harm inflict self-inflicted wounds because they're not on a calm and regulated state. And what, what's even worse, the NBA, Major League Baseball, the NFL, those are billion-dollar industries. Mm -hmm. And if you go by coach by coach by coach in all those teams, most of them don't know the difference between the sympathetic and parasympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system and how much that affects performance. And it's not just athletes. It's speakers. It's people who perform in sales. It's people who perform every day that aren't you know, performing to their potential because they're on the sympathetic side, but they haven't been educated to as, as such. You know, I've worked with a lot of head coaches in the NFL, and when I educate them about that sympathetic versus parasympathetic, they sit there and just go, oh, my gosh, why haven't I heard this before? Why haven't I learned this? So I tell you, it's, it's going to come down to the neck up, and that's why I say, because it's the autonomic nervous system that will regulate yeah. this series. What, what about the concept, though, of using this as fuel? In the sense of like, because that's the thing is sometimes it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And I use the you know example of movies and TV shows, whatever it might be, but the heroic arc of adversity and using that to kind of fuel the fire. How does that play out from the scientific side of maybe Malone speaking to his players through the media so they hear it from different channels to try to raise their game as well? But okay, so if if you're an outside linebacker in the NFL, let's go, let's get him riled up, mm -hmm. let's get him excited. But basketball is a very regulated game from the neck up. It's like golf. It, it, it's like point. baseball. You you the more fired up you get on a basketball court, the more you're going to be on that sympathetic side. Mm. You do you want to be on the parasympathetic where I'm shooting the ball with freedom. I have clear thinking. Depending on the sport, you either elevate people, arouse them, or calm them down. Basketball is a sport where you need to be calm. You need to be regulated. Do you play with energy and passion? Oh yeah, especially on the defensive side. But when you're shooting the ball, you want to be in the flow. And so what happens is when you have coaches that have tension in their face, have tension in their body, you look over to the sidelines and they're, you could, they're visibly frustrated, how do you think that's going to impact your perception of who you are and where you are on yeah. the floor? Am I going to get subbed out? Are we going to win this game? There's so many questions that pop up in the head when you perceive that sympathetic side of the autonomic that's the difference in the game of basketball if we're talking about the nfl it's a totally different answer i'm going to give you a lead to a column from the other day and i suspect you'll agree with the first sentence but maybe not the second 
and then we'll move on to uh, another aspect of uh, what's going on here and a, a phrase that I hadn't heard very much until recently, and I want to get your reaction to that. But first, this is the New York Times yesterday in a piece headlined, The Heat, a long shot in the playoffs, pull even with long shots. And you've talked about the flow. They got shots from similar spots in game one, but they were out of flow shots. They were out of rhythm shots. They didn't go in. They were in the flow and in rhythm more often the other night, and the shots did go in. Not all 20-footers or 25-footers are created equal, right. even if they're from the same spot. Yeah, Some come in the flow. When you're in the flow, maybe the distance between you and your defender is an additional foot. Yeah. He's just a split second late getting to you, so you have a cleaner look, even though it might be the difference between a defender being six feet away or seven feet away. Yeah. That small a difference can can tell the story. But this is this is the two-sentence lead. Michael Malone is generally the kind of coach who would leave a negative Yelp review after vacationing in Shangri-La. <laughs> That's the one I agree with. But his worry was warranted this time. And my quarrel is not even with the sentence. It's with the word worry. Exactly. He, he did not express worry. He made a declaration yeah. that was fundamentally false, didn't match what he had said right after game one at all, but kind of doubled down on what he had for some reason put out there Friday. You know, we didn't play that well in game one. I don't know how he thought that would be of benefit. But I want to read you this quote and get your reaction to it. And it's a phrase, and I must confess I've never heard it, but I thought of you when I saw it. Small hinges open big doors. Mm. Nick Saban understands that. Bill mm -hmm. Belichick understands that. Greg right. Popovich understands that. Steve Kerr understands that. Eric Spolstra understands that. I suspect Michael Malone probably would look at that quote quizzically, just as I did when I first saw it, before yeah. I started to think about it. Yeah. And in, in essence, what we're talking about is asset versus deficit communication. When someone communicates from an asset basis, they build people. How about this? Guys, love you guys. I love everything we're doing. We're competing. We're playing hard. There's things we need to clean up, and we'll do that. But overall, I love you guys. Keep working. Keep fighting. We got this. That's, a, that's an asset. But we didn't play well. I got to tell you, we didn't play well. And, I, and I've heard, I know, I know people on that team, I've heard what happened when the doors were shut before the media was let in. When you have deficit communication, you focus on the deficits. You don't focus on the assets. And the athlete is a human being. Let's, let's be honest here. We're talking about basketball players, but at a core level, these are human beings who have thoughts, feelings, and perceptions. And when you break someone down from an emotional and a mental aspect, and all they hear is, we didn't play well. And you go over the areas where you didn't play well. We didn't rebound. We didn't, we didn't have vision of the floor. We didn't play great defense. That turns into trans, transition offense. Yeah, I, and they hear that. They drink that Kool-Aid. And there, that becomes the flavor of the team from the top down. How can you say you didn't play well defensively in game one when you held them to 93 points? <laughs> and I understand 30 of the 93 came in the fourth quarter, but you held them to 63 through three quarters. That isn't good defense. Right. Um, I, I, I'm not 
I, not sure still I understand that. When, when we come back, uh, Anilo, I'm sure you have a similar question. Why is Nikola Jokic seemingly immune to all of this? Yeah. And even immune to the nonsense that may be coming from his own head coach. We'll ask that question of Dr. Rick Perea next on I Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and uh, Anilo Piro sitting in for Chandro Tar today. Dr. Rip Maria, our guest here in this first hour. This is Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. Our caller text line, as always, 303-831-1340. Call in. React to anything that's been said through the first 45 minutes of the program today. We're streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen and the free Mile High Sports app. Our producer is the great Danny Bailey, of course. And these two hours will repeat from 4 to 6 this afternoon right here on Mile High Sports. My question to you, Rick, is a simple one. Why does Nikola Jokic seem completely immune? to all of this. I heard him during his uh, press gathering today down in Miami. Somebody asked him, how do you attack their zone defense? And he did what Casey Stengel used to do. He spoke in Jokic ease, which is a mixture of seeming to have trouble either understanding the question or expressing himself. We know he fully understands the question, and he's fully capable of expressing himself, but he obviously wasn't going to tell everybody how the Nuggets, and even Jokic in particular, expect to attack the zone defense when they see it tomorrow night. So he went into this kind of convoluted explanation and concluded by saying, you know what? Yeah, zone defense can force you into bad shots, but man-to-man can force you into bad shots too. In other words, if they want to play zone for 48 minutes or 24 minutes or zero minutes, doesn't make a damn bit of difference to me. I read the game. Yeah. I read the defense. Yeah. Doesn't make any difference at all. Comp- disengaged, yet in a healthy way. Yeah. Well, I think what, what Nikki does, um, he separates basketball from the humanness of the sport. And if you think about him, he's the youngest brother. And he um, learned how to make things calm growing up in that household. His brothers have a fiery personality. Absolutely. And if you look at those three brothers together, I have three sons, by the way, that are um, similar ages apart. And I can tell you this, the youngest one is an expert at calming the two older ones down. Because I'm telling you what, my two sons, one weighs 250 and one weighs 240, and they're um, competitive athletes, football players. And when they get going, there could be holes in the wall. So the younger one has learned to become an expert at regulating them. Nikki is an example of parasympathetic. I've been talking about sympathetic and parasympathetic this whole time. He is the optimal example of the parasympathetic. He's very calm, very relaxed. Even looks goofy out on the floor. He's sneaky athletic. 
He's sneaky goofy, but he's able to deploy his physiological skills in the most upteen. I mean, when you see him shoot that little five-footer, that that's one of the hardest shots in basketball. And he does it with accuracy and touch because he's relaxed. He's you know, he's at, on that parasympathetic. You know, during the break I mentioned I gave a comparison. The another athlete that I've seen in Denver that plays completely relaxed and oh by the way is considered one of the best of all time too is Von Surefire Miller. Surefire Hall of Famer. Surefire Hall of Famer is Von Miller. I've never seen Von Miller play angry. Never play upset. He's always dancing, he's laughing, he's having a great time on the parasympathetic. So when we can learn from these athlete athletes how to perform at peak levels from a scientific manner, then we're able to take that that mechanism and apply it to other athletes. You know, if you look at Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray is a, is a, a different example. He tends to be up and down in terms of his mood. Remember what I said at the beginning. Thoughts lead to feelings. Feelings lead to mood. Mood leads to behavior. So if you want to change your mood, change your thoughts. I have a saying that says, shape your thoughts or else your thoughts will shape you. Jamal lets his thoughts shape him, whereas Nikki shapes his thoughts on a very regular basis. That's why he's able to play in that relaxed state, calm state, thus playing to the top of his potential. Well, it's interesting, and I know we've been talking about you know the mentality of these players and the coaching staff from a scientific standpoint, but in the conversation and even thinking in the break, something that it reminds me of, a book that I consistently go back to, is The Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Yep. There's a lot of stoic principles with Nikola Jokic in the sense of I'm going to be a rock and I'm not going to let anything phase me for good or for worse. And I think that is, you know, Sandy, we were talking about this as well. He is kind of the the unifier, the glue man, for lack of a better phrase, because maybe Jamal Murray's a little emotional. You know, Michael Porter Jr. is an emotional guy, but in a more reserved way. Jokic is that balancing act of you can look at him and feel tranquility, whether you're up 20 or down 20. Yeah, and it's similar to the role he played in his family growing up. He was He was that rock. He was that stability. He was that calmness that was needed and you even see that today his brothers will be all fired up in the stands mm -hmm. and and Nikki's kind of looking up there like all right guys we got this just chill out we got this so yeah you're right I mean at the end of the day I want the listeners to think about the mental side of performance and what that really means is it plays a big role in how we deploy the physical side of performance. And if we don't have the neck upright, we'll never reach our potential from the neck down. And there are athletes out there, the majority of athletes, that don't even know the difference between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. And they, be, they may be playing on the sympathetic side 80, 90% of the time, and they don't even know it. Mm -hmm. They're that talented that they can play on that side. So I would encourage everyone out there, look this up, understand there's techniques, and tools, Sandy, of how to regulate that so they can play to their potential. Because I'll tell you what, if someone told me I was going to take an exam in class and the best I could score, even if I aced it, was 70%, I, that, that's, that's hamstringing yourself. We can't do that, but yet we do it on, in athletics all the time. By playing on that sympathetic side, we do not reach our potential because we're, we have muscle tension. We have narrowing of thinking. Our heart rate's up. Respiration's up. We've got to understand the neck up. So at the end of the day, this will whoever wins this series, I'll repeat again, will win it from the neck up. Regardless of who wins tomorrow night, how soon will we be able to tell, do you suspect, tomorrow night? 
first five minutes, first quarter, first half. How long will it take us to tell whether the Nuggets are in the parasympathetic realm or the sympathetic realm as a team? Yeah. Not, not individual by individual. Yeah. Some guys may be there, others might not. I thought the best example, along with Jokic, of being in the parasympathetic realm the other night came from the three bench players, Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, and Jeff Green. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. They were great. Yeah. In the first four minutes, we'll be able to get an idea. But here's my watermark. Four minutes left in the third quarter. We'll know right then where we're at because the adjustments have been made at halftime. The the halftime speeches, and I'll put that under quotations, are presented. We'll know four minutes left in the third quarter where each team is at by the, the shooting percentage, the ball control, in other words, are we turning the ball over, and the effort on defense. We'll know from that perspective – who's on the parasympathetic or sympathetic. And at that point, I think there's a very good chance you will know who's going to go up two games to one. All right. We'll uh, talk about that more in hour number two. But uh, before we let you go, uh, we were at a mental health symposium recently. Yes, sir. We had you on the next day. Uh, You talked about a program you've got that you're working right now to implement. Yes, it is called Psyched, P-S-Y-K-E-D. That's a different spelling of Psyched, yes, a little sure funky. But I if, like it. But people that know me, I'm a pretty funky dude. So it's called, if you go to our website, psych.com, you can see the programs that we're developing. It's for mental health, and it's in the purpose of specifically uh, preventing suicide, especially among adolescents. Sandy, it's a big issue in our society, as you've personally experienced, as some of my closest friends have experienced. And at psych.com, we're already in high schools. I'm doing presentations at George Washington High School this August. I'm doing presentations at Arapaho High School. We're getting other schools on board. My sons go to Cherry Creek High School. And uh, Coach Logan has had get, talked to me about how we're going to be able to present programs there. But we've got to do something, Sandy. We've got to change the narrative around mental health. There are so many adolescents out there that are cutting, that are burning, that are self-harming, and it's really a step process. The ultimate level of self-harm is suicide, and we've got to make a dent in this, and there's a way to do it that I think is creative and innovative. We're going to have very funky uh, hoodies and, and jean jackets and headbands for athletes to wear under their helmets. Um, we're going to do a lot of different things, but please go to psyched.com, P-S-Y, K-E-D, and see what we got going. We got promotions coming up. And if you're an administrator or a principal out there, check us out what we're doing because we're bringing a message to the students that's going to enable them from a scientific level, just like we talked today, to understand where anxiety comes from and that it's okay to not be okay. Absolutely well said, as always. And uh, I want to recognize, we all do, uh, uh, three of the great people. You're one of them. Uh, leading this effort, uh, uh, Marty Richardson of Dog Nation. Yes. Uh, we spoke at uh, Marty's symposium. Uh, Marty's the best. And uh, the great Dave Logan, of course, uh, uh, also part of uh, this program. And uh, one of the coaches, uh, probably still in the minority, unfortunately, who really understands all this stuff. Absolutely. And applies it on the high school level. And we're, we're lucky for that. Uh, he's been doing it for years, not just a great winner. Uh, but a great person, and uh, all of this does tie together. Dr. Perea, not only thanks for coming on today, but thanks for coming into the studio and speaking with us here in the first hour. 
Anytime, guys. I love being here. Thank you, and I appreciate your what you guys do here every day. And, again, let's go out and just help each other and love one another every day. All right. Anilo told me he's getting a little more concerned after listening to Dr. Rick Perea about the Nuggets prospects. Actually, I feel better. Now, I, part of that is every time I'm around Rick Perea, I always feel better after he's spoken, after he's done his bit than I did before. But I'll tell you exactly in just a few minutes why I feel even better about the Nuggets' chances down in Miami and in this series. That's coming next on Mile High Sports.